Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be with you. The Lord got us started off right, the Waffle House. You know, there are, in our theological tradition, we believe in the sacraments, the importance of the Lord's table and baptism, but there's another element called the snackraments, and that's the food ministry, the kitchen ministry, you know what I'm saying? I just made that up, copyright that. Um, <laughs> glad to be with you again this morning. Let's get into uh, our text for this morning. If you are just starting with us this morning, uh, we began in Philippians chapter 1, and we're just going to work through Philippians chapter 1. And last night we took the first 11 verses, and this morning we're going to take verses 12 through 18 in the book of Philippians chapter 1. Verses 12 through 18. Philippians 12, uh, 1, 12 through 18. And this is God's word. This is what the Apostle Paul says. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Would you pray with me? Lord, we pray that this morning you would meet us in the preaching of the word. We do pray that you would be at work, Spirit of God, in our hearts, that you would teach us, that you would help this text to land in our souls, and that you would comfort us, that you would encourage us, that you would convict us, that you would drive us and motivate us. We pray that you would give us vision, give us hearing. We pray that you would strengthen us for what you've called us to. We pray that you, Jesus, would continue to be the true preacher to your people, and that you would lead us into humble worship and reliance upon you to make your name known in this world. We ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in the day, before there were digital cameras and, and cameras in your phone, your smartphone, people used film photography. And when you were doing film photography, what would happen is that you would, you would push a button on the top of the camera. And then what would happen is that, that the, the camera would, would open up what is called an aperture and it would let light come through into the camera and it would strike sensitive film and it would create what was known as a negative. And some of y'all remember taking negatives uh, to CVS or to the, to the pharmacy in order to get your pictures developed. And the way that it worked with, with film photography was that you, you had to get a negative before you could actually get a positive picture. 
the pictures that you would hold in your hand were the positives. But before you could get the positive picture, you had to get the negative. The light had to be let through to strike the sensitive film in the camera. There was no such thing as getting a picture if you did not get the negative. We know that the times where we are most tempted to throw in the towel with our faith are during times of affliction, during times of suffering, when life is not going our way. It's in these times that our faith is tested and we wonder whether it's worth it. And in those times, we begin to question God. And, and, and when we're questioning God, it's obvious that we're not commending Him. Whenever you, you have doubts about this God, you, you don't find yourself on mission commending Him to other people. And, and, and it's important for us to recognize what is central to the Christian faith when it comes to suffering, when it comes to hardship and trials. I appreciate that all through Scripture we are given a very loud message that God shows up for His people in the times of affliction and that the times of affliction and difficulty are not accidental. They are, they are used by God. If you remember back to that famous sufferer, Job, in that time of extreme loss and pain and, and hardship in his life, he said, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He didn't say the Lord giveth and the devil taketh away. He said the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. In other words, God is in control and God is sovereignly overseeing the things that are going on in His people's lives. And this God can be trusted to use every bit of your suffering for His own purposes, for His own redemptive plans. Because what you and I need to appreciate is that when God opens up the aperture of our lives and He allows suffering and hardship and affliction to come in and strike us where we're sensitive, He's doing that to create negatives that will ultimately result in positive pictures of who He is and what He's like and how worthy He is and how faithful and true and good He is. Those, those positive pictures are revealed through the negatives that He brings into our lives. And so, this morning, we are going to, we are going to see this theme developed uh, by the Apostle Paul as we get into our text today. And I want, you to, I want this one line to stick for you. This is what I want you to walk away with, and I want you to be able to, to take this line and to remember these, these scriptures that we're working through. And I want you to know this. God advances His message through our messes. God advances His message through our messes. Through the messes that we create through our own sin and our own bad decisions and our own unfaithfulness. And also through the the things that come into our lives that we don't have any control of. When, when a mess is created in our lives because of health problems, or a mess is created in our lives because of unexpected loss, or, or, or a mess is created in our lives because of, of relationships that break down, or, or when messes are created in the life of our church when things don't go the way that we were hoping for them to go, you at those times need to open up 
in a broad and expansive faith, and you need to say that God advances His message through the messes. Now, as I was sitting over here, I was reminded of this, this wonderful hymn that I just want to read the lyrics of the hymn to you by William Cowper, an old school cat. And he said this. He said, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan His work in vain. God is His own interpreter and He will make it plain. That's a good word. You know, we need to sing the Gospel as much as we preach it. We need to sing it into our souls. This is a side note. Music is one of the ways that we get our theological bearings. And it's important that we, we sing songs and we worship through music that is going to lead us to these life-giving truths, even when they're hard truths. Sometimes we need hard truths in order to get soft hearts. So, we're going to drive this point this morning. God advances His message through our messes. Now, with verse 12, we begin the formal body of Paul's letter to his friends in Philippi. And we need to remember the context that Paul is in prison for preaching the Gospel. His faithfulness to God did not result in nicer cars and bigger houses and, and fatter pensions. His faith resulted in jail time. Now Paul was a felon for Jesus. His faith led him into some precarious circumstances. His faith and his following of Jesus led him to some sleepless nights and some tear-filled days. But he wants to write his friends. He wants to let them know that he can sing through days of sorrow knowing that all will be well. He wants to let his friends know that, that his circumstances are not they're, not... they're not weighing him down. His circumstances are serving the most glorious purpose. He's, Paul is saying, I'm not worried about what God is doing for me in my life right now. I'm worried about what my life is doing for the advancement of His kingdom right now. It's a different orientation. Paul is not operating with a sense of entitlement, like God owes me. He is, he is really trying to help his friends to focus. He's like, look, y'all, I know that it seems like I should be in a particular state of mind. I should be... I should be a mess right now. I should be a basket case right now. I should be fear-filled. I should be anxious and I should be doubtful. But I want you to know that what has happened to me has turned out for the greater advancement of the Gospel. And I, this, is, this is powerful. And here's why. It's one thing for a seminary professor to give you a theology of suffering and to be able to tell you that God is true in the times of suffering and hardship. That is helpful. But you know what really gets it through to your heart? When you're talking with someone who has experienced loss and they say to you, He's faithful. He's present. When you're talking with someone who has lost everything and they say, but to, 
to have Jesus is really to have the gain. When you're talking with someone who has really experienced it, what it does is it adds gravitas to the message. It adds weightiness to the message. And you know what? God does not want you to be a lightweight messenger. And so He's going to lead you through the hard times so that you can bear witness to the fact that He is good. He's going to lead you through it so that He can deepen your message. He's going to lead you through hard times so that you can testify to other people. He brings you through the test in order to deepen your testimony. That's what God does. And if you have the eyes to see it, well, then you go through the trial in a different way. You have a different disposition of heart when you're dealing with the hardships. You don't feel God to be distant. You don't feel God to be disinterested. You don't feel God to be against you. You feel most useful, used of the Lord. It helps you to not pay lip service to, to saying, God, use me. God, I just wanna, we just want to extend your kingdom. Do you still want to extend His kingdom if that means the rocky road of trial? Those who see the great worth of God say, yes, yes. But this is what Paul is doing. He, he wants his friends to know that, that his life has been changed and everything in his life is now about advancing the gospel. Paul has exchanged burdens in a sense. And, and that's what we learn in Philippians chapter 3, but he's already introducing the notion right now by saying that he most cares about the advancement of the gospel. He's exchanged burdens. He used to live under the burden of, of performance and how he performed for the people around him horizontally. He used to live under the burden of, of out, outdoing his peers with his religious performance. He used to live under the burden of advancing his career. He used to live under the burden of guilt and shame and fear. But he's exchanged those burdens for new burdens. Now he has a burden to follow Jesus. Now he has a burden to see other people come to know God's saving grace in Jesus Christ. Now he has a burden to announce to the world that Jesus lives. That he's alive. There's nothing else, friends, that can explain the life of a guy like Paul than that he actually saw Jesus risen from the dead. Nothing else explains the birth of the church than that they saw Jesus alive. And so, because he knew Jesus to be alive from the dead, and his claims to be confirmed by his resurrection, now, this was the most important aspect of his life, making this message known whether through the good or the bad or the ugly that he had to face in this life. And, and we, have to, we have to learn, not just from apostolic doctrine, but from the apostolic testimony. We have to look at the lives of the people who endured in the past. We have to look back and be taught. When we look at these lives, it helps us to get our faith out of the abstract, out of the ethereal. Yeah, I believe. I got faith. You know, everyone talks about having faith these days. They talk about being spiritual, not religious. But as Christians, we have a distinct spirituality. There is a distinct way that the Spirit of God operates in the lives of His people, and it has a specifically cruciform shape to it. Our spirituality, we can see embodied in the saints of old. And this is what helps us to have true Christianity 
rather than this, this strange version that basically is just a tool in our tool belt to help us get the American dream. Anybody, anybody would say, yeah, I'll be a Christian if being Christian meant you were going to get newer and nicer things, that your life was going to work out just fine and, and all of the, the material aspects of this life. I'll take Jesus if it turns into a BMW. Thank you. I'll take that. But when, it, when, it's, when it's a life of, of difficulty, when it's, when it's waves of grief, do you, do you still want him? When, it, when it's going to cost you your reputation with certain people in our, in our culture, in our society, when it's going to put you on the margins, when it's going to make you seem like the odd bird, they, look at our forefathers and, and, and mothers of faith. They, they, they were on the margins. And yet they found God to be faithful and Jesus to be true in that context. And that's why they were able to commend Him. That's why people actually paid attention. They had a, they had a moral and ethical weightiness to them because they found God to be worthy even when they were going through the difficulties. So, Paul is assuring his friends. And they knew. They knew. If you look at Paul's track record in 2 Corinthians 11, he lays down the qualifications for his apostleship against these super apostles who say he's not as eloquent and he's, he's not as sophisticated and, you know, he, he's, he's just a, he's a low man on the totem pole. He says, let me tell you what my qualifications are for being an apostle, for being a minister of Christ. I was beaten with rods. I was whipped. I was stoned and left for dead. I've been shipwrecked. I've been experiencing sleepless nights in danger from my countrymen, in danger from strangers. I, I, I have regular concern for all the churches. Yes, this is what my qualifications are. This was the life that following Jesus and advancing the gospel resulted in for Paul. But look at the extreme fruitfulness of his life. Paul knew that behind a frowning providence, there was a smiling face. And so he kept pressing on. He kept pressing on. But Paul didn't carry an attitude of entitlement about his present circumstances. Remember, he's in jail. Now, it happened that he wasn't in jail for his own sin and, and selfishness. He was in jail because of faithfulness. But he's trying to help them to see that he can endure his present circumstances because Jesus has done something about his eternal circumstances. Paul was not beholden to human opinion because he had... The, the, the good favor of the only one who mattered. He could love his enemies because he was the enemy who was loved. He could await judgment from a Roman king because he had the affirmation and acceptance of the king of kings. And this is what stabilized him in the trials. Paul had this kind of clarity on his life because Paul was dialed in to the deep structure of the gospel. He was dialed into the deep structure of the gospel and he was confident that the Lord was advancing his message through the messes. But how could he take such a position? Paul knew this. Paul knew this. If you were a spectator at Golgotha on Good Friday, if you were a spectator, you would have looked at this man on a cross and you would have come to the conclusion that this was a waste of talent. 
This was a man who had a good following. This was a charismatic leader that people listened to. And he wasted his life by getting into a tangle with the religious authorities. This was, this was a waste right here. This was, there was nothing here to see. Nothing significant was going on on this day. But if you took that approach, if you had that interpretive lens on that day, you would have been catastrophically wrong. You would have been missing what would become the hinge point of the ages. Because on that day, Paul knew that on that day, God the Father opened up the aperture of Jesus' life and He allowed suffering to strike Him. He allowed affliction to strike the Son of God. All through His life, He was known as the man of sorrows and one acquainted with grief. But you have to appreciate that it was in those moments, it was in that hardship, it was in that difficulty, it was in that suffering, it was in that isolation and loneliness that God was producing the positive pictures of His grace and mercy to us. It was when His life was struck with affliction that God was saying to you, I care for you and I love you and I long to redeem you. It's when his life was struck on the cross that you saw mercy and justice kiss. It was in that cross that you saw God's great designs to renew the world. It's in the cross that you see that God's not making all new things. He's making all things new. And there's a big difference. Because if God was making all new things, there would be no place for you and me. You know how we do when things get broken? We just throw them out and get a new one. But I'm glad that God doesn't throw out the things that get broken. He has a plan to renew those things and to make a place for those things in his future. And that's what we see at the cross. God allows the, the affliction of loneliness and abandonment to strike Christ so that we can get the positive picture of how much he wants to be close to you and to enfold you and to be near to you. And, you, and when you experience the times of, of negative impact in your life, the, the frowning providence, you can look back to when God struck the life of His Son Jesus and be assured that He is not abandoning you. You may not have the answer for why you're experiencing the suffering that you're experiencing right now. You might, you might not know why. But I can tell you why it's not. It's not because God doesn't care. It can't be that any more than it was, it was the case for Jesus. It can't be because God doesn't, doesn't love you. It can't be because God is not committed to you. What we can say is that, is that God is able to redeem that suffering. That means that He's able to use it, and He delights to use it. Many of you have stories that you can tell of the ways in which God has taken the negatives of your life and he has produced positive pictures of who he is for the people around you and I really believe that it is a, a, a biblical and faithful idea that God more often advances his kingdom through our messes than through the times of wonderment and 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 and, and smooth sailing. I think it's true to the scriptures. 
that God is most often at work in building His kingdom when our lives seem to be the most difficult and chaotic. So we need to be prepared in our minds that when we pray for God to use us to advance the Gospel, we need to be hip to the way that He does it. Okay? And we need to embrace it. And we need to be faithful in it. And how can we do that? Because we can look back to Jesus. Jesus created the Gospel by, by receiving the negatives. And so we can extend the Gospel by faithfully and humbly receiving the negatives. It is looking back to the goodness of God in the cross that empowers us, that stabilizes our minds to be able to, to walk through this faithfully. Look at the flip in the life of Jesus and see in the Apostle's statement that Paul seems to have this category in his mind of, of what you could call magisterial truth and ministerial truth. And what that means is this. There is truth in all caps, and then there's truth in fine print. And the truth in fine print for you may be right now that you're suffering, that you're going through trials. That's true. But truth in all caps is that Jesus is alive and God is in control. And that truth must be the governing truth that helps you to engage the other aspects of your life that are true. In other words, to, to, to go back and reflect on what William Cowper was saying is that there is no such thing as brute fact. Every fact is an interpreted fact. And, and the question is whether or not you're seeing the facts before you through God's lenses. Now what I mean is this. You can look at the fact of your suffering and conclude, interpret, that God doesn't care that God has abandoned you. And, and that would be an interpretation. But if you're looking at it from God's interpretation, you will not conclude that. What I'm saying is that we need to take God's interpretive approach to our trials and our sufferings and our hardships as individuals and as a church. And we need to use the, the life and the story of Jesus to help us to get our bearings on what God is doing in the times of affliction and suffering. We need to have the testimony, though He slay me, yet I will trust Him. We, we need to have the Apostle Paul's interpretive lens. I want you to know that what has happened to me has served for the advancement of the Gospel. Now, I want you to think about this. This is rich. This is, this is rich. I want you to picture the Apostle Paul. Get him in your minds right now. He's sitting in a prison. And the way that it worked back then was that a, a high-profile prisoner like the Apostle Paul would be guarded by Roman soldiers. They, they, would, they would be close. They would make sure he wasn't getting away. Nothing was happening with him. And, and these soldiers, you know, they're blue-collar guys. They're working and they do their shift and then they, they roll out. Now, Paul mentions in the text, I want you to look at it. Look at verse 12, and then I'm gonna, I want you to see this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that, with the result that, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, question, how did they know that? How did they know that? This is how they knew it. Because when they came in, each, each of the guards, they came in. Paul looks at them, says... How you doing? 
<laughs> he says, you know why I'm in here? And they're like, this is a crazy whack job, but I got to be here for my shift. You think you got a hard job, right? He says, let me tell you why I'm in here. Because the faith that I viciously opposed turned out to be true. When Jesus, the Christ, appeared to me, risen from the dead. You are insane, Paul! I saw it with my own two eyes. And there's no explanation for, for why I, as someone who was so vehemently against this group, you know, you've got to be really intense to want other people to be dead for their belief. I was that intense. And the only thing that could break me is that I saw him with my own two eyes. He blinded me on the road to Damascus and he set me free. Let me tell you that Caesar is not the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. You need to repent and believe the Gospel. That Roman soldier finally, sweating bullets, makes it through his, through his shift. And they go back to the water cooler and he's like, have you had to guard this joker, Paul, yet? He's like, no, nah, man, I'm about to go in there now. He's like, drink your Gatorade. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be quite a trip. And then the next soldier goes in and Paul says, how you doing? You know why I'm in here? And he goes through, and guard after guard for the length of his stay. He is sharing the gospel with them. He is leveraging his suffering for the advancement of the gospel. He's not sitting in there, woe is me. It's just we don't get any of that from Paul. He, he's real about his suffering. He acknowledges it. He doesn't try to dumb it down, but what he says is, I'm not going to allow this, this opportunity to pass me by. This is an opportunity for me to bear witness to the greatness of Jesus. If he is alive from the grave, then I can endure this light and momentary affliction because it won't compare with the weight of glory. And so he's continuing to use that. I want to ask you right now, can you give some thought to the things that you're facing right now? And can you begin to shift your interpretive approach to the things that are going on in your life? And can you begin to ask and seek the Lord's face and say, Lord, how could this difficulty be turned into an opportunity to advance the gospel? How can you turn my difficulties into an opportunity for doxology? You know? How, how can you take my messages, my messes and advance your message? Lord, would you give me the grace to see it? Whether it's in my relationships. If you have a messy relationship, that's an opportunity to advance the message of the gospel of reconciliation. If it's through the messiness of loss, it's an opportunity for you to advance the message of, of, of Jesus as your great gain. If it's, if it's through uh, your own sin and failure, it's an opportunity for you to advance the message of God's forgiveness his grace and repentance and faith. Redeemer, it will be a really fruitful reflection for y'all to think together about the things that you're facing right now and to ask and pray together, how could God advance His message through our messes? That is a fruitful prayer to pray. But let me, let me move on. Uh, and I want to talk about what it actually means to advance the gospel. I don't want to assume. 
Because I think the, the Apostle Paul gives it to us straight, right here. What does it mean to advance the gospel? If you look at the text in verse 13, you see it has two, two aspects. The first aspect is that non-Christians are given the message. That's verse 13. And the second aspect is verse 14. Christians grow more confident in the Lord with the result that they are bold with the gospel message. That's what it means to advance the gospel. Non-Christians hear the message and existing Christians grow more bold with the message. They grow in the gospel to the degree that they are, they are free in sharing the gospel with other people. They're confident. It's an internal and external impact when we are advancing the gospel. Verse 13, non-Christians were given the message through his imprisonment. Look at the text. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He's talking about the fruitfulness of his affliction. And he viewed his affliction, he viewed his placement in the day of suffering as a strategic planting of the Lord. He was strategically planted in the place of suffering by the Lord. And this is where the, the, the real drive of his mission came from. I mean, think about the productivity of Paul, the fruit of Paul as he was in prison. He wrote four New Testament letters. How many people came to faith while he was in prison? If you wanted to talk about the prison ministry of Russ Whitfield, there wouldn't be a single leaf of paper. Because I'd be, oh, Lord, why me? Lord, I just don't understand. <laughs> haven't I been faithful to you, Lord? He's like, no, 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 you haven't, actually. <laughs> All right, Lord, let me ask a different question. I mean, you know. <laughs> but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It bears witness. I want you to think about this. There's an atheist named Pendulette. He's a part of this team that does magic, like David Copperfield stuff. And he tells, he tells the story of one time he was doing a show. And after, you know, while they were doing the show, they brought up a volunteer. The volunteer comes up, and, you know, they, they do the magic and all that stuff. And after the show, that volunteer came up to Pendulette. And he came up, and he gave him a New Testament with the Psalms in it. Now, Pendulette is an atheist. And this is what Pendulette says. This is, this is the, uh, the thoughtful, um, honest reflection of an atheist. This is what he says. He says of the man... He was kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And then Gillette comments, he says, I've always said I don't respect people who don't proselytize, who don't share their faith. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there is a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not to tell them that? And then Gillette offers this illustration to make his point. I, I, I'm, I'm letting, uh, all truth is God's truth. I'm letting the words of an atheist challenge us. This is what he says as an illustration. He says, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that that truck was bearing down on you. There's a certain point that I tackle you. And this is more important than that. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying it's consistent for us to be 
bold and courageous with our message if we believe that Jesus got out of the grave. If we believe that there is one Lord and Savior, there is one way for mankind to be made right with God, and that is through the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, our sin debt taken away through His death, and us raised up to new life through union with Him and His resurrection, then we need to be we need to be the kind of people who are free and full with that message, regardless of what we think the implications might be for us in terms of reputation. This is the thoughtful reflection of an atheist. And so what does this mean for us? This means, one, we need to repent. We need to repent for our self-referential living. It's just selfishness. When we... When we are tight-lipped with the message of the gospel. I want you to notice who's at the center of life there. What will people think about me? How will I come across? I don't want to be perceived as one of those people. Me, me, me. I, 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 I'm at the center. And I want you to be free. Free from that. Free from that because you do not have to be a slave to other people's opinions of you. Love takes these kinds of bold moves. Verse 14, I'm going to move on from there. Non-Christians are given the gospel, but secondly, Christians become more bold with the message. Verse 14, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, yet another fruitful thing that the Lord brought out of His suffering. You know, the message of God's great worth was advanced for other Christians. When they saw Paul suffering the way that he was and enduring it faithfully and emboldened them. Paul's preaching in prison. Well, I can preach outside the prison. If, if Paul is, is, is discipling people inside the jail, then, then I can disciple people outside of the jail. They got bold. They became confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The gospel advances when Christians grow confident in the Lord with the result that they are bold with the gospel message. Here's the deal. I'm closing now. This isn't a black church close, I promise. <laughs> and as I come to a close, <laughs> 30 minutes later, ain't he all right? <laughs> Here's the reality. You don't need to be afraid about being an evangelist. Here's why. Everybody is an evangelist. Everybody is an evangelist. You don't believe me? then you haven't been on social media. <laughs> Everybody is talking about the good news of their worldview. Everybody's talking about what they understand to be the good news of the way that society should operate. Everybody is making disciples. If the church isn't evangelizing and making disciples, the world gladly will. And we're trying to make disciples for Jesus. We're trying to share the only good news. Because everything else is truly bad news. Everything else results in a work-your-way-up-to-God approach. There is only one faith that talks about God making His way down because we couldn't make our way up. That's good news. The good news that we can be truly known and truly loved is astonishing. So when anyone checks you about pushing your message, you say, I'm sorry, are you pushing your message on me right now? It's inconsistent. You can't give someone grief about sharing their message because at that very moment, you're sharing your message. It's inconsistent. So let's be bold. 
fearless, courageous. Everyone's an evangelist. The question is, do you have real good news? Everyone's making disciples. And particularly, y'all, particularly, let's, let's not forget, mission globally is massively important. Mission to our city, massively important. But let's not forget the mission to our children. You know who I pastor in Washington, D.C.? A bunch of people whose parents did not do mission to them. I have a lot of people, they got burned out on the church or they, they walked away from the church. Why? Because they were not discipled. They weren't invested in. They, they, weren't, they weren't seen as a part of the mission. And if we really invest, this is being true to our theological claims that they are, they are members of our covenant community. They are, they are members. And they are heirs of the promises of God and Jesus. And we put God's sign of promise on them. And we announce to these kids that they belong. That's, that's one of the things that people on the margin most need to hear. You, you can belong in this family. You might not belong out there, but you belong in here. You might be alienated out there, but you're, you're, you're in the family here. We advance that. Don't forget the kids. If we raise them up, that's a part of the mission. All right, I'm going to shut it down right now. God advances his message through our messes. Let's pray that he would continue to do that in our lives. Father, thank you for these friends. We're grateful, Lord, that you don't waste any suffering on your people. All of it turns out to be useful for the advancement of your kingdom. And it reminds us that our very purpose in this life, our very purpose in this world as your image bearers is to make you known, to celebrate your reign and your rule as the true king. And we pray, Lord, that you would, that you would be pushing back all the fear that's in our hearts right now. Push back all of the self-centered, self-referential impulses of our souls and help us to really be God-centered. Help us to be really compelled by that stubborn fact of history that Jesus walked out of the grave and he left it behind and even, the, even death couldn't hold him down. And we pray, Father, that as we look out over a, a dying people, that we would hold out light and life to them and that they would embrace it. Lord, I pray that this year at Redeemer, there would be 50 stories of conversion, of people coming to faith and finding themselves in this church and saying, I didn't know Jesus before and now I do. I pray that 50 people would cross from death into life. And I pray that you would encourage this church to rise up into its identity as the resurrection people. We ask that you would do this work, Lord, for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.